Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Square Ball Podcast. Welcome to the Square Ball Podcast. I'm Dan Moylan. With me is Michael Normanson. Hello. And Moscow White, Daniel Chapman. Hello. And our very special guest for today, the YUP's new chief football writer, Graham Smith. Hello. Welcome to Leeds. How is it so far? It's been excellent so far. Uh, my head is still spinning somewhat, but it's been um, it's been a grip first few days. We'll get into that and we'll figure out how quickly we can break you uh, in just a few minutes. Quick heads up on the magazine as well. Both paper and digital subscriptions are available right now for the forthcoming season uh, at thesquareball.net. Now then, Graham, so tell us a little bit about you. Introduce yourself to the Leeds fans. I've been a journalist for around 14 years. I started at a little weekly free paper in Stocksbridge called Look Local, where Jamie Vardy was just breaking into the Stocksbridge Park Steel's first team around the same time. And the chairman would come in exclaiming that Crew Alexander were taking him on trial and the Stocksbridge had great hopes that Jamie was going to go to Crew, and, and then he came in and he was crushed because Crew didn't want him, um, which is ridiculous now when you look back at it. And that was where I, there, that's where it began for me. And then after that, I went to the Works Up Guardian and, and covered the ups and downs, mostly downs of, of Works Up Town, world's fourth oldest club. After that, Derbyshire Times. And again, sadly, mostly downs of Chesterfield FC. And you've done the Liam Cooper move now, Chesterfield to, to Leeds. Can we expect a, a catastrophic error just before half time in the playoff semi final in May? No, I think you can expect <laughs> a fearless leader that um, fans will take to. Um, <laughs> that's my hope anyway. You've been through some interesting Chesterfield managers then. You've had, is it Martin Allen, John Sheridan, amongst others? What were they like? Martin Allen was phenomenal to work with as press. Uh, what he would be like to work with as a player, I'm not so sure. But as press, he was, he was gold. He was absolutely superb. He would ring on a Sunday night at 11 and, and check that I hadn't been asleep. And then we would just have a long chat about strikers or about the players he had or who they needed to get in. and. It was really interesting. It was very different to all the other managers. Danny Wilson had been in football so long that I don't think he was particularly keen to make any new friends in the press. And I was quite new at Chesterfield at the time. Gary Caldwell, sort of classic dour Scott, who, when you were working with him on, on the record, wouldn't give you a great deal. But since his time at Chesterfield, we've got on an awful lot better. Um, really, really lovely guy. Jack Lester, really intense. Really, really intense, really into detail and really focused on getting the kind of incremental benefits out of everything and reading as many sports psychology books as he could and club legend at Chesterfield, of course. And then uh, Martin Allen was just completely different to them all. He was uh, crazy at times. I had a, 
a real expectation that Martin Allen was going to come and work for Cellino at one point. It just felt fated. We were going through the Hockaday came from nowhere. Um, and then once we'd got through, yeah, the mystery of Milanich to Steve Evans, I was thinking there's only one, one way we can go after Steve Evans. And I was, I was waiting for Martin Allen to come. I think they would have been, certainly the late night phone call sounds like they would have made a hell of a combination. Yeah. He, uh, I mean, when you talk about characters in football, I don't think there are many like Martin because I find him to be very complex. I find that there were times when he seemed so decisive. He'd decide that his goalkeeper was the problem and the goalkeeper was, was gone out of the picture straight away. Other times he seemed to be casting around for opinions on, on what he should do and, and various things. But away from the football, he was so lovely. And the, the mad dog tag that he has, I didn't see any of that. His players probably did, his staff most definitely did, I'm sure, and people around the club day in, day out. But I didn't see any of that. Um, he was very human and, you know, would spot a picture of my kids on his phone and would ask about them. He, uh, he cried in a press conference when his assistant had a bleed on the brain, Adrian Whitbread, and was in hospital. He got incredibly emotional. And, and emotion was always bubbling away under the surface with him, you know, after defeats and when they won after a, a club record winless streak, something like 21 games. When they finally won again, you could see the emotion in him was just so raw. Uh, and I was quite sad that it didn't work out very much, Chesterfield, because quotes wise, he just couldn't be beaten. So when the phone rings at, uh, you know, 11 p.m. on a Sunday night, what do you think he gets out of that speaking to you? At the time, uh, it was a, a player transfer that he wanted, I guess, some input on. It was a player that I'd known for quite a long time from previous clubs. And he, he was explaining to me how the transfer was going to happen and, and wanted some input on how they would break it and, and that kind of thing. But he also, which he didn't need to do, and, and I don't really know why he did it, but he asked me my opinion on, on various players and how they'd done in the past year. Because quite often when managers come into a club, unless they've been in the same region or competing with that club, they won't know a lot about what's gone on in recent history. I mean, when Gary Caldwell came in, I don't think Gary really had a clue what he was walking into. He, his focus was on, I was sacked by Wigan. You're a long time forgotten. Don't stay out of work too long. And I think now he'd admit that he shouldn't have taken the Chesterfield job. He should have not taken any job and just got his, got his head right, waited for the right job. So I think Martin just wanted to know what the story had been with various players over the, the last 12 months. And he knew that if he asked the local journalist, you'd probably get an impartial, and because it was off the record, quite a raw take on it. How did that contrast with, say, John Sheridan then? Because he's obviously well-loved by, by Leeds fans from the 80s in particular. John Sheridan, I think, probably does press because he have to, because he has to rather. We went through a six-week period this summer of where we didn't speak to him because he was away on holiday and, and his phone appeared to, to break for a, a period of time. <laughs> it just, just didn't seem to answer. If you get John Sheridan talking about a subject that he's passionate about, he is brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. If you talk to him about how football's changed, you know, from the days when senior players could, could put a, a younger player up against the wall and put the fear of God into him because he wasn't doing his job, to the way that you have to speak to people now, he will talk for a, a long period of time. He was great when he came out of Chesterfield. I don't think we ever had a no. I mean, he, he might not answer the phone, but if he did answer the phone, the answer wouldn't be no uh, when it came to requests. And I quite like the way he thinks about football as well. He, he's all about simplifying the game. Everything's so simple. One of his former players, Tommy Lee, uh, said that his sessions were always fun and simple. 
and players I think loved coming into training because he would make it if football's to be enjoyed. What I think he maybe struggles with is why players can't bend a free kick into the top corner from 30 yards when he can just step up and do it. But he's working in the National League now and that's maybe you know an obstacle to overcome. That was the Gary McAllister problem at Leeds apparently because we were in League One and he was the best player on the training pitch um, which I think was other than maybe Fabian Delft. I think that was the that was the problem he had. But from Sheridan, he I mean he didn't used to really turn up for training at Leeds, did he? Billy Bramner used to give him Mondays off because he assumed he would be out getting drunk on a after the match on a Saturday. So we just told him. So there's a sort of Howard Wilkinson's first day. He arrived on a Monday and he's looking around for the team's star player who basically sustained Leeds United from the moment they got relegated to the season before they went back up. He wasn't there. Like, well, why isn't he here? Billy gives him Mondays off. It's not a good start. <laughs> but you could probably give a John Sheridan a Monday off and know that you'd get the same performance from him on a Wednesday night or on a Saturday. That was Bremner's theory. Wilkinson wasn't quite on, on board with that. Wilkinson wanted to bring, well, he did. He brought in Gordon Strachan while Sheridan was still there and basically said, like, you might think you're a good player. This player's been to the World Cup and do you want to take a look at his diet and what he does? And basically told, put the fear into the whole team. And then back that up with Vinnie Jones, who put a different kind of fear in. But Chez was just, um, I think one of the reasons why he was and still is so popular with that generation of fans before mine who watched Leeds throughout the, the 1980s was because they'd see him out in town um, after a match and then they would, but they'd seen him that afternoon playing football like nobody else in that division could possibly manage. Um, and somehow he had like, I mean, it's the perfect life if you could just be drunk from from the end of the game until the start of the next one and it just play like a, a an absolute genius. I think he tries to manage players perhaps the way he was managed by certain bosses as well. I think he knows how to get the best out of players. He likes players who can take care of the ball. And I think if he has a good player in his team and knows he's a good player, he'll probably try and manage him as such, knowing that he'll get the best performance out of him. But he's always, he's always I mean, maybe apart from Notts County, He's always got results where he's been. And, and it's, it surprises me that, particularly when he was at Fleetwood and his stock was maybe never higher as a manager, I thought he would go on to manage at a higher level. And it surprises me he hasn't. And, and sometimes I wonder if it's perhaps from his side of things that he just couldn't be bothered with the extras that come with managing a club in the championship, for example, where you have to do so much press and there's so much scrutiny and everyone's watching everything you do. Perhaps it suits him, you know, at the minute to be at Chesterfield on a, great contract, club that he knows well, club where he's loved, with an owner that he gets on very well with, just getting on with his job. And how's that going to contrast, do you think, with Marcelo Bielsa, who is meticulous in his training? If Sheridan simplifies, what does Marcelo Bielsa uh, do? I'm yet to meet Marcelo Bielsa and ask him, And although I know that he doesn't do one-to-ones with press, but I'm very much looking forward to my first encounter with him. I think I think everyone has been fascinated with him since he came to England and, and what he's done and the way he had Leeds playing, how attractive it was and how smothering it was for other teams. Everything about him seems interesting. Even the fact that he he doesn't believe that one journalist should have more access to him than another. Someone described it to me today is that if there's a, a kid from the, his high school newspaper, he also would think that he deserves the same access as the guy at the YEP. That's like, what a story. That is. I love quirks. I love people that are different. And I'm not sure there's anyone more different operating in the English game than him right now. Was that part of the attraction for the job? It certainly helps that I'm looking forward to watching some very decent football because over my years in journalism, 
with the greatest of respect to the teams and the players that I've watched, I have watched a lot of struggle. I have watched a lot of lower league football that at times wasn't the most entertaining. So, so watching a swashbuckling team who, who pass the ball out from the back and are dynamic and attacked on the flanks and create opportunities galore, that certainly is an attraction. It certainly helped. And what do you make of Leeds as a club before you came in? Leeds are, you, everyone knows that Leeds are a big club because everyone knows a Leeds fan, no matter where you live. You know, when I was covering Works Up Town, the chairman of the club was a Leeds fan at one stage and there was a, a group went from Works Up to Leeds games and you become, you become aware in football of, of who the big clubs are quite quickly. And they've obviously, they pull in fans from all over. And when you go away, you know, to Eurocamp, there's always somebody with a Leeds flag outside their motorhome or uh, caravan. Not a club that I've encountered in a professional capacity often. There's not really been any crossover as such. But being a football supporter, you're always aware of the clubs that have history and that were successful. And I remember, I don't know why, but a picture of um, the team that won Division One in 92 in Shoot magazine. I remember Gordon Strachan kind of hunkered in the front row of a team picture. I have no idea why that stands out, but it does. And then I remember particularly one of my fondest memories of football as a kid was the Battle of Britain with the team that, that I've loved since I was a kid. Oh, you're one of those, are you? <laughs> I'm one of those, yeah. <laughs> We're talking about Rangers for the benefit of anybody uh, who's not aware of uh, the Battle of Britain. Um, did you go to any of those? No, no, I was uh, too young and in the wrong uh, country to go to those games. We did go over to Ibrox. We were some of the people that go over, the thousands that go over on the boat every Saturday afternoon from Ulster to either club in Glasgow. That's incredible, really, how many people from Northern Ireland support one of the other. So if there's both fans travelling over, how was that for a journey, if there's Celtic and Rangers fans on the same ferry? Oh, they don't tend to share the boat. <laughs> they would have the boat week about, I think, the, uh, the HSS, the fans. Of course, yeah, because you're going to have one at home and one away, aren't you? Of course you are, yeah. What memories do you have of that 92 game? I remember Haitley and McCoyst uh, doing their jobs as they did. So their partnership was phenomenal. Ali McCoyst was, for me, was my childhood hero. He was the one on the wall. Him and Stuart McCall, for some reason. I quite like Stuart McCall as well, because I think maybe because he kicked people. Um, but whereas Coisty just scored from every angle and, you know, diving headers. I think one of his against Leeds was a diving header from a Hitley cross. Hitley scored that kind of half volley on the turn that surprised Lukic. And of course, Lukic um, had his aberration in that game, didn't he? Also surprised Lukic. I still remember that. Hately goal hitting the back of the net and just the way my heart sank. We were 2-1 down already and just thinking, sit down, oh, we'll get back into this. This will be great. We'll do the Stuttgart match again. And then that happened. It's like, this probably isn't going to work. And McAllister scored a beauty, didn't he? In the first, and he scored like a, an arcing volley of weight and kind of curled away into the top corner. First 30 seconds, yeah. Chapman headed a corner out and then he volleyed it straight back in. And I watched those games again recently and Andy Gorham was brilliant especially in the second leg I think we it gets forgotten a bit we were actually pretty good particularly in the second match but we were already 3-1 down and we just couldn't score past that <laughs> <laughs> oh, we shouldn't have been playing you anyway we were supposed to be playing because uh, the seeding got all mucked up for the draw because of Stuttgart being out and then back in again so we should have had we should have been kept apart because we, we both should have had easier teams to play so that's, uh, that's another source of bitterness that's been stored up for the last 20 years. <laughs> what was magic about that time, though, was the fact that we could watch those games on terrestrial, that anyone had access to that. And so you come in the next day to school and everyone had seen the game. And I wonder if that's 
lost today because my kids, we don't have Sky, just just don't, never had it. And my kids don't get to watch, you know, a lot of football. And so I just wonder how many kids are going into school, you know, and saying, oh, did you see the match the next day? And nobody has. Even the big Sky games only get a couple of million people watching them compared to, yeah, you know, when the World Cup's on and you get like the Women's World Cup the other day, I had like nearly 12 million people watching it just because it was on, on free-to-air TV. You know, it's, um, yeah, I think you're right. It's a shame that nothing's, that the, the access to football is kind of cut off now all of a sudden. And it would be that shared because you saw so few teams. You'd see every team at least once during the season. So I can remember Andy Gore and whereas, I, I don't know who plays in golf for Rangers now um, because there's just, there's never a reason to sit down and go, well, that is the only game that's on television. I'm going to watch that and, and make the most of it when you know something else is going to be along in a few minutes anyway that you can, so you can ignore the, uh, the Tim Pot League and, uh, <laughs> and wait for a, a proper Leeds United match to come on. So you do become just, when you've got the opportunity to watch Leeds on TV every week, I don't know why any young fan would think, well, I'm going to watch a team that I don't like. Mm. Whereas, yeah, I knew loads about uh, that and the, the pro set cards that I used to have. I'm still a, a 1990 expert just purely through those two few games on TV, a big collection of football cards. That's all you need. And I think you're about to find out as well in this job, just how much Sky interferes with our calendar, particularly because you've got kids um, and how that's going to impact your home life as well. Cause it is most of our fixtures these days, isn't it? Then all the police Cardiff of the Cardiff games been moved by the, uh, the five Oh today. Well, it's the same weekend as the six nations in Cardiff. Saturday is Wales, Scotland, I believe. So right. that's perhaps why they've they've moved it because the two on the one day might just be a heady elixir that's a bit too much for some to handle. Whereas moving the Leeds, has Leeds game gone to Sunday? Sunday. I mean, because nobody will go down on the Saturday night, so that's fine. <laughs> Problem solved. And talking about fans there almost, I mean, what's your perception of Leeds fans before you start this job? And you've had a little taste of it since you were announced on Twitter, but so far, what have you made of it? I don't think I had any idea really or inkling. I mean, some, when I spoke to a few people, you know, for advice in the the interview process, they'd kind of said about, you know, everyone mentioned Phil Hayes, and I followed Phil. Um, so I knew that he had a huge following. I don't think I quite appreciated just the fervor, the, the kind of, it's like a subculture all of its own that I've not seen, certainly not at the clubs that I've, that I've covered. And I, I don't think anything had quite prepared me for what was to come last Wednesday when the announcement was made. And the announcement, when it, when it was made, was a, as much as a surprise in its timing to me as it was to, to anyone else. So my phone began to buzz on the desk and buzz and buzz, and I couldn't actually use Twitter. And so I, I used the desktop instead on the laptop and saw it was 400 and something notifications. And my, my first thought was, what have I said? What kind of mistake have I made or what have I said that's gone viral unintentionally? Because I certainly hadn't set out to go viral that day. And then when I got into my notifications, I realized that the news had broke, that I had a new job. There were some unbelievable tweets, lots of, of a very similar vein along the any news or you're not Phil, which I was <laughs> expecting. I was a little disappointed that I didn't get the Conor McGregor, who the, is that guy gif. That I was, I was expecting a lot of that, but there was a lot of any news, Phil, <laughs> you're not Phil. I want Phil back. We love <laughs> Phil. Just kind of of a Phil variety. There was a, there was a Phil theme running through a lot of them, but there was a lot of really nice tweets and messages and direct messages and a lot of follows very, very quickly. How do you think 
you're going to handle that going forward? Do you think it's going to change your approach to how you use social media? Yeah, I think Twitter's dead for me. Uh, <laughs> I think probably when you're when you're broadcasting to a larger audience, it does come with more of a responsibility, not just to the role that I'm in and the fact that I'm reporting for an organisation like the YEP that's so widely regarded and has been known for so long as a source of true news, but also a responsibility to myself and to my family just to just to be sensible, really, in, in what I say and. I think that there'll be maybe be like a feeling out process that happens over the next while as to, as to, you know, but I can't, I also can't be dictated to by the reactions that I get. If I have a story and it's not a good news story, it's still a story that needs to be told. There may be stories this season that need to be told that don't go down very well with leads. There may be stories that don't go down very well with leads fans, but there's still stories and a fear of a reaction can't dictate what I say. But my, my use of Twitter may be somewhat scaled back from the leisurely kind of scroll through the mentions it used to be. And, you know, you just couldn't reply to each and every one, particularly the any news tweets, because if there is any news, we'll tell the news. That's not to say people shouldn't send them because they still do make me, still do make me smile almost a week on. And what sort of preparation have you done for, for starting this job? Anything special that you've had to do in terms of coming into Leeds? I spoke to people that I knew who had who've worked at the football club. I spoke to journalists that cover big teams for daily titles. At Chesterfield, I was lucky enough, I suppose, in that you have John Sheridan, you have Glenn Snodden, the warmest man in football, strongest handshake in football as well. It's all the practice from the lead salute. It's almost like he's setting out to injure you when he, when he grips your hand. But, but that is it so at odds from his character because I don't think I've ever met anyone as effusive and enthusiastic and positive than Glenn Snodden. I mean, he's a master of, he'll say 800 words in a press conference and give you exactly zero information, but you've come away feeling like you've just spent time with your favorite uncle because he is so positive about everything. And so I spoke to him last week, actually, about, about Leeds and what it means to him, because he's obviously a Leeds fan who was lucky enough to be a player and then an assistant manager. So I was keen to find out that whether or not being sacked had diminished that or if he saw Leeds in any, any differently. And no, he doesn't. He's still absolutely loves Leeds. And that it was good to get an insight from people who'd actually worked at the club. And, and they all said the same thing is that it just grips you and it won't let go of you. And it, it's a kind of thrill a minute roller coaster. <laughs> That's what I was told to expect. And, and I, I'm not expecting any different. And what do you make of the football side of things then at this point? It'll be an interesting next few days. That's for sure. I know there's a lot, there's a big clamor for a center half from the fan base and they're worried about goals you know, making all those chances and not taking them proved costly in games last season. I think Leeds are hoping that continuity will be the key, really. The fact that these players know Bielsa's methods so much better now than they did last season and that they've, they're hardened veterans of his, of his pre-season training regimes. I still think we might see something happen between now and the close of the transfer window that, you know, everyone's just going to have to react to as it happens. It's probably going to be just like every other transfer window where Things happen at a at a time that's most inconvenient for everyone involved. It is nice though that it closes at five. Um, I know that you know you can get your paperwork done and things might still leak out later. But as for whether or not leads are going to do anything, I think I'd probably err on the side of caution and say not expecting a great deal uh, of business coming in unless they have to react to something going out. But the Ryan Kent thing doesn't seem to go away, does it? You know, it's still boiling away in the background, and he is a great little player. 
Did you see that he's uh, deleted all references to Liverpool on his Instagram profile and all Liverpool related pictures? So. Yeah, um, which has probably sparked 17 web articles on different websites saying Ryan Kent gives Leeds fans hopes by deleting. Yeah, interesting one. Would he be a worthwhile signing then? You probably saw him quite a bit last year. Yeah, uh, Rangers fans absolutely loved him because he produces special stuff. But producing special stuff at that level and the championship, I don't know if it's comparable. I think he'd certainly be a very good player in the championship. Leeds are not going to be looking at, at players at, the, at this stage, adding players that aren't going to add something different and something special. The centre-half issue is the interesting one. It, you know, if Bielsa feels like he's got enough and just the faith in the stock that he's putting in Ben White is extraordinary, really, in the context of all our expectations as football fans of, you know, we all want four experienced, rock-hard centre-halves who can play out from the back um, and also score goals. That's what every football fan wants. The dream. The dream. <laughs> but Bielsa obviously doesn't think about football in the way we do. And he's the one that's, you know, revolutionising the way Leeds play. Yeah, there's a lot of, I think I'll describe it as reluctance to support the idea of Ben White being our starting centre-half. But then you've got to look at then the reluctance we had last season to think that Calvin Phillips was going to be a, a starting player even. I think there was still, um, probably this time last summer, if somebody had bid three million for him, there would be a lot of fans saying, yeah, get rid of him. But he also had that, saw something more. And it is interesting when we talk about whether Ryan Kent can make the, the jump from the SPL to the championship. You kind of, you feel like you're uh, absolving yourself of an opinion when you just go like, well, if Bielsa thinks he can, mm. he probably can. But there's a lot to that. If he's, he'll have watched every game he's ever played since he was born and he will have worked out what he can do, what he can't do and what he can add to make him do what he wants him to do. And you've kind of got to go, well, if he thinks Ben White can fit into what he wants to do this season and Pontus Janssen couldn't, and I go, well, Let's see how that works out. And I guess Bielsa gives you the license as well to, if you can, to forget the idea of worrying about his inexperience and, and where he's come from. You've just got to say, right, Bielsa's picked him. There's got to be a level there that you wouldn't necessarily have had when you'd be like, right, Heckingbottom's picked him. Just got to say that this lad from Barnsley Reserves is the one. It's, uh, <laughs> but it doesn't stop everybody having an opinion about that and everybody panicking about it. I mean, do you, do you think they need an extra centre-half? I don't know that I'm qualified yet to make any bold statements about what Leeds United do or don't need because I didn't watch last season. I didn't watch every game. As a football fan, if Rangers were going into the season and they'd replaced an experienced centre-half with someone who played in the division below the year before and earned rave reviews but not yet been tested at the top level, I'd probably have the same worries that Leeds, some Leeds fans have. But it, it's you're never going to take the worry out of it. You know, no matter, even if Leeds sign another centre half between now and the close of deadline, there will be people with worries over the defence. There are people who don't think as highly of Cooper as others, people that, that worry about the goalkeeping then. It's the unknown that makes this time of the year so exciting and worrying because you're going into a new season and nobody, the bookies all have made Leeds favourites. Lots of people outside of Leeds have made Leeds favourites. Lots of Leeds fans don't make Leeds favourites, but nobody can say with any real level of certainty what's going to happen in the championship this year. What do you think is going to happen in the championship this year? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'd be very, very surprised if Leeds weren't right up there because of the way he had them playing last year. And people can talk about other teams being wise to it this year. When somebody is very, very good at something in sport and you know they're going to do it, doesn't mean you can stop them from doing it. And just because people 
of experience playing against a Bielsa side doesn't mean they're equipped to defend against that style of football when he's got technically gifted, exciting, quick players who, who now know how to carry out his methods to the T. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I think one thing we've been surprised by is how we've all become more knowledgeable about tactics, probably. And like we're seeing in these preseason games, a, a flirtation with this 3-3-1-3 formation, which is kind of a tweak on a 4-1-4. And it's like all these numbers, it's just, it blows my mind, but I'm starting to get an understanding of it. Do you think fans have an appreciation of the sort of granular detail that someone like Bielsa goes into? I think more and more fans are getting an idea because it's more accessible and there's so much more data being presented that you can find some great Twitter accounts from people who don't work in football, who have a Scout account or access to one and are making these really nice looking graphics that present data in a, in a way that everyone can read and understand. Social media has been brilliant for that. It has its its flaws, but it's been great for access to information and data on football. The problem, of course, is that a lot of it comes with no context. And I've often found as a journalist that I can have stats in front of me and I can reel those stats off. I could write an 800-word piece on Ben White's data from last year and his ball carries and his successful passes and his interceptions and, and his aerial duels won. But I might not have any context for that. And and also, I might not have any knowledge of what he's like under pressure and the times when he didn't do those and the reasons why he didn't win those aerial duels. Who was he up against? What was the experience level of that player? How did he cope in the big, big pressure games? So there is a danger to get a bit carried away with what we see on social media and take it as fact when sometimes it needs a bit more explaining from people who are more knowledgeable. And that's why I always try and talk to people who've been who actually work in this game, who've coached and have qualifications in the game that are far beyond my own. Yeah, it's always, there's a really interesting bit that's missing from our conversations from the outside. I remember the 92 season when we won the league, when uh, we'd lost 4-0 at Main Road, right under the run-in, and Howard Wilkinson that weekend sat down with Mick Hennigan and they went through, they had the paper data records that they had paid somebody to keep all through the last, since they'd, come to the club actually, because it was a lot of the same players and they were comparing uh, which players worked well together, what tactics worked well, what everybody's stats were, what was going to be our first level. And he mentioned the crucial bit in there was 
comparing them against what they'd been asked to do in every game. So they didn't just have what their output was. They had, they'd scored every player against what they'd asked them to do on that particular occasion. And that's a really important part that when you're looking at the, the numbers, as you're saying, you can say how many times they did it, but you don't know how many times they were asked to do it and whether they were asked to do something different on that day that they weren't asked to do the day before. So it's, it is really fascinating trying to, to work out and trying to resist that temptation. You, I think you know when you've gone over the edge when you're including the goalkeepers in the formation. If you start saying it's one three three one three, you're lost. <laughs> you need to be clawed back. But you've always got to keep in mind is that there's a there's an extra part in there that's just unfathomable. And when it comes to Marcelo Bielsa, I guess that extra part is huge because who knows what he's asking a certain player to do on a certain. Well, particularly occasion. when positions are almost irrelevant at times because they they swap and change and players are are expected to play in roles that you would never. You or I would never have pictured yeah. them playing. As well, I think people make bold proclamations and statements that aren't quantifiable. You know, people talk about the burnout and people said with such confidence, they've burnt out, Bielsa's burnt them out. That's why they faded away. But even if you had the data that showed the kilometres a player ran earlier in the season compared with what he ran, it still doesn't explain it because you don't, there's so many things, factors that go into a performance and a game things that cropped up from the opposition. Maybe the opposition did something different on that day. Some things that you can't quantify, I think people are all too often make very, very bold statements about. That's also what's so great about football. We can all watch something and come up with a statement about it and our statements are all completely different. Do you think maybe uh, that's what went wrong when we look at why it fell apart last season for Leeds? And I know you're kind of coming in from a, from a distance here on this, but if you're familiar with it, it kind of all started to fall apart against Wigan at home when we were 1-0 up, they're down to 10 men, and then suddenly didn't stick to the script because we hadn't lost from a winning position all season. And then suddenly we were behind. And maybe that's the moment. Was that the threshold maybe that the fact that it wasn't going to what the data pointed to? Maybe. I don't know because I don't know that that players' natural reactions on a pitch are based on the data or the information they've been given. A lot of times they'll revert to instinct that has been bred in them since they were four or five playing on a football pitch. I, I couldn't answer your question as to whether that was where it all started to go wrong or or why it started to go wrong. It seemed to me, looking on from afar, that they didn't fall apart. They just fell away at the, at the worst time possible, really. And you look at momentum as well going into the playoffs, that momentum was with one team and momentum wasn't with the other. So it, I guess really the important thing is that Leeds have learned from whatever it was they believe went wrong, whatever Marcelo Bielsa believes went wrong, in the last stage, the latter stage of the season, the important thing is making sure that whatever it was doesn't happen again this season. So you sell all your centre halves. <laughs> That'll solve it. But if it is an instinct thing, then what what is it in that player's instinct that that makes it fall apart like that? Is it mental weakness? Is it lack of ability? Because I guess what I'm angling at is the panic amongst the fans is because we've got largely the same team as last year, maybe even slightly weaker. So why do we look at this and go, okay, I'm more confident that we will do better this time? Good question. Um, where do you get your optimism from? I guess that's what you're asking. What, why, are fans, why are fans optimistic? Well, this team contended last season right at the very top for almost the entire season. So are they expected to do the same again? Yes, I think they are. Will Costa provide that little bit of extra quality attacking-wise, that will mean more goals. We don't know. Jury's out. But he has had one very good goal-scoring season in the Championship before. 
As as for the rest, as for the centre half, I, I think you're just going to have to you're going to you're going to either trust Bielsa's judgment or you're not, and you're going to worry. I don't think there's anything anyone there's nothing I can say that's going to make Leeds fans think you know what actually no I'm, I was wrong we're fine at centre half we're absolutely fine I certainly wouldn't tell anyone to think that but th- this is look this is what Bielsa's decided or this is what the club has decided as a whole it would be interesting to know to get to the bottom of have the club offered him centre halves and said well what about this what about that and has it come ex- you know explicitly from him that no 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 I'm I'm fine with this. Because we know he likes small squads, and this is the way he's worked. And I think maybe if you want Bielsa, you've got to accept all of Bielsa and his decisions. And I certainly haven't seen in the thousands of tweets in the last few days, I haven't seen anyone questioning Bielsa's position at the club. So if you want Bielsa, you're going to get Bielsa, and this appears to me to be Bielsa. Do you think maybe that's what it is, that the fear comes from a lack of control? I mean, and it's, we're, we're putting everything into Bielsa. He decides to get rid of Janssen, then we kind of got to go with it. Yeah, perhaps, but you, a club knows that when they appoint a manager like this, it has, it won't have come as a surprise to Leeds that Bielsa is a decisive man who does things very much his own way. So Leeds will have known the risk when they, if you could call it risk, when they appointed him. And also they can't go above his head. What use is it to a manager if a club brings in a player that he didn't want or has no plans for? You know, why would you spend money on a player that the manager didn't ask for? And we've seen at other clubs when, when that starts to happen, it's the beginning of the end for the manager and quite often for a team season. It's been the end for Bielsa before. I think that's one of the main reasons he got out of Lille was players were arriving that he, he didn't want. And this was always kind of his, the risk when he, he turned up was a half expected something like the, the Pontus Janssen sale to come, which is if he thinks that's the right decision, you've got to, okay, Bielsa thinks it's the right decision. But then we have a larger picture where there, there may be a day when Bielsa has gone and it could be soon. We hope not. And then somebody comes in who maybe wants six centre-halves at the club and they haven't got them. So it's kind of like we have to live with those decisions in a long way. Whereas if you had a more conservative manager who was not taking these huge, like defining decisions, there's more scope for the next manager to come on and go like, okay, well, I'll just, instead of playing those two centre-halves, I'm going to play those two. Whereas if somebody does come in after Bielsa, they're just going to look around and go like, well, have I only actually got one who is employed by this football club and one kid from Brighton? Um, and the others are all fullbacks. So there is that kind of, I think that's a, a, a fan's edge where you are thinking we are putting everything so much, it's just on the nose with this. And there's no, uh, there's not the, the easy way back that there might be with a, another manager. I was fine with Chesterfield that my opinion was they should have a recruitment system in place that was always in place, regardless of who the manager was, because what they found was the manager would come in He'd have his own way of doing things. I mean, Paul Mitchell was the chief of recruitment. He's now at Sheffield United and has been recruiting for Wilder for the last few years brilliantly. And he was phenomenal for Chesterfield, found some great players that they made a lot of money on. When he left, they never really replaced him. So you would, a manager would come in, see that there was nothing in place, have his own scout that he used. And then when player recruitment wasn't good enough and it fell apart and the manager got fired, a new manager would come in. They'd maybe try a director of recruitment. They did at one stage with Guy Branston, former Rotherham United centre-half. And I think all of the players that signed on two-year deals under Branston have left the club. No, I don't think anyone remains. And it didn't work. And it's not that a manager has to come in and conform to that recruitment policy. But if, if the system is in place, then you can 
offer a manager options and you can be ready. So if a manager says, I want this, you've got a list of options as long as you're armed and you know all the players from the, the local area, if you're a club like Chesterfield, um, or you know all the potential youngsters. And I think that's something that Leeds have majored on, bringing in youngsters and turning them into good players. But it, you don't have to dictate to the manager who he signs, but you have a system in place. And that means that if the manager does goes, your system remains, the new manager comes in and he can work with that system. And Chesterfield just never got a hold of that. So I'll be in, in my spare time, if there is any, I'll be watching closely as to how John Sheridan recruits over the next 12 months. I suppose Leeds have that in Victor Orta, don't we? But the uh, up until now, it was Thomas Christensen saying, yes to Lawrence Dubok and yes, we'll have Yusuke Iriguchi and yes, we'll have, I don't know if he was given a choice with Wasim Boy, whereas it seems like Bielsa has been a lot more, no, I do not want any of these centre-backs you are offering me, which is maybe a, a way you need that final part of the, of the recruitment process is somebody strong in position going, please stop bringing me Belgian left-backs. <laughs> uh, I'm going to just go ahead with a kid from the under-23s. Are you planning to speak to Bielsa or ask him uh, about the departure of Janssen? I believe the the running order at the press conferences is Sky, then BBC, and then the YEP. So if it hasn't been asked, it'll certainly be talking point for this Friday. And and I think when a manager has only spoken once during the summer, I don't think I'm incorrect on that. He might straight back any questions on on transfers. He he might straight back every question on Friday, but. There's certainly some things that it would be very interesting to get his his take on and centre-half situation is definitely one of those. And what are you expecting to find from Leeds on Sunday against Bristol? A lied away support, for one. Um, I don't know, to be honest. I, I'm, I'm certainly not expecting them to play anything different to the style of football he's had them playing. I, I don't think I'd, I'd like to try and predict who's going to start the game. I watched the Cagliari game on Saturday night and there were some things in that that I thought were very promising. But Calvin Phillips... Uh, others might disagree, but I thought Calvin Phillips showed just how important he was when Leeds didn't have the ball. I loved how many times he gave free kicks away in really safe areas that stopped Cagliari from attacking. Uh, and he looked in good shape to me. Um, and I also wasn't sure about the red card. felt that was somewhat harsh and almost spoiled what was a really good performance from him. And by all accounts, he has trained brilliantly and been a true professional, despite all the talk there's been this summer and the Villa interest and the this line that came out and spread like wildfire the other day that he's trying to force a move. His conduct apparently would not have you believe that. I think he'll be very important again. And I think keeping him could be very, very important. You were, you had that as kind of your first big story today, didn't you? How Calvin's summer's going. Yeah, that he's, from what I'm told, he's happy at Leeds. And of course he wants to play in the Premier League. It goes without saying, they all want to play in the Premier League. Um, there's no guarantee of that with Leeds. No, Leeds can't guarantee Premier League football. Maybe the best possible thing for Leeds to do if they want to keep Calvin Phillips is just to go and get promoted this season. I'd be up for that. Yeah, it <laughs> work for all of us really, wouldn't it? What do you think about things at the other end of the pitch then and, and the stick that Patrick Bamford has taken? Is that justified? That being a striker comes with an expectation. That's They have that from junior football, that they're the ones that have to put the ball in the back of the net. There are players who need more of an arm around the shoulder than others. I don't know Patrick Bamford. I haven't met him yet or spoken to him so I don't know where his self-esteem and confidence are right now but he's paid a, a decent amount of money to put the ball in the net and he'll know more than anyone that if he's not doing that then people are going to criticise I think in pre-season though I don't, I'm not sure anyone should come in for too much stick during pre-season because it's pre-season and it's, it's friendlies and you know there was the volley against Calgary where the ball came over his shoulder that was a really really difficult chance to take that he didn't take 
And you know that a lot of people will have given him pelters for that. I think he probably needs a couple of goals early on uh, to get him going. They paid a lot of money for Patrick Bamford to score goals. So he's got to score goals. And with Rufai injured, it could very quickly become a burden on a player. And you see strikers go through these horrible spells of not being able to score and they look like they're trying too hard. So hopefully he's got good people around him and good people in his ear and, and people in the, in the dressing room and others could certainly take that pressure away from him. That's something that Tony Dorigo said, that he sees it as a pressure for everyone, a responsibility for everyone. He thinks that Harrison should be getting double figures this year. I don't think anyone would disagree with that as an expectation. Costa should be chipping in with goals. His teammates could certainly help him out a bit by putting the ball in the back of the net themselves uh, in the first couple of games. I think junior football, he was probably helped by the servants and kitchen staff who <laughs> ordered to cheer him from the sidelines. So it's maybe if we get some of the, the... Has that added to the criticism, the fact that he comes with this tag as a, as a posh lad? I think partly it's the mannerisms as well. He was missing chances and like pounding the turf and being a bit more, I don't know, a, a bit more obviously pissed off with it. But he's, I don't know, he's the, he's the way he is. He's kind of... The perception is nice boy. Yeah. I think the way that he runs is quite languid as well. So it's easy when you're angry in a stadium, I think, to translate that into put more effort in, you're lazy. You know. There was a great comparison that has never really gone away with, I don't know if it's just Leeds fans, but when we had Viduka and Smith, Viduka was the lazy one. He would always have the fans on the back. Smith could do no wrong because he, he ran like the wind and he was, uh, when he was chaired off after, the, the, after we'd been relegated, his last game at Elland Road, Eddie Gray's quote, there's never been a bigger hero at this football club. And Mark Viduka scored about 50 more goals than he did. But no, he was pie man. He was the fat, lazy bastard that everybody hated. Whereas Smithy was the local hero who, because he put the effort in and he worked and he got sent off and he got into fights. And I think, yeah, so some of that will have translated itself to Bamford that he just doesn't quite look, but it does, it goes the same way. Sometimes I think, does he look like he's going to score? There was a chance in the Calgary game where we were coming down the, I think Jack Clark's dribbling around on the left and he's ambling towards the box from the right wing and you you should be absolutely legging it into the six-yard box just for a chance. And then Harrison scored the perfect Bamford goal in the, the Girona game where they showed the, the highlights. He was wearing number nine, so I think he was playing as a striker. Ball comes across and it's like a difficult bouncing chance near the penalty area. Half volley, doesn't hit it very well, but so hard it just bounces past the keeper. Bamford just doesn't ever seem to just do that, just force it into the goal. Like that is going in the net. That's what you could tell from Harrison's finish. You're like, not going to hit this cleanly, but it's going in there. I don't know. It's interesting what we see as fans, though, and what we what we want and why we would give a player a seven or an eight when his manager might give him a four or a five. John Sheridan last season, he had a player called Leeshaw, and he, he just ended up at Geisley on loan. And the reason he didn't really fit for Sheridan is simply because he didn't score goals. But fans loved him because I don't think I've ever seen anyone visibly put more into performances than he did. He ran and ran. He chased everything. He chased goalkeepers. He chased centre-halves. You know, if someone had the ball, no matter where he was on the pitch, it seemed, he would be chasing that ball. And fans love that because you can see that he's trying his absolute best, but it wasn't helping Chesterfield to win games, per se. It might help stifle the opposition a bit, but John Sheridan always said that he wants his strikers causing havoc for defences and scoring goals. He wants them in the box. So we can often look at a player who's running all over the place. You think he's played brilliantly today, but he hasn't actually done what his manager wanted him to do. And and with with running like you know languid running styles, players like that always come in for stick because people think, oh, he's not not trying, he doesn't care. 
we have no idea if he sleeps that night, if he's missed a chance or hasn't scored, or if he's slept all week because of that, that pressure. And that's the side of football that because of the atmosphere around it and the commentary around it, we never find out if a player's kind of struggling mentally. And that's such a bearing on performance. So neck on the block time. What are we expecting from Sunday? Are we going to win? Uh, <laughs> why would you ask me that? Um, Just so we can, A, we can revisit it afterwards. And I think what I'd like to do is extend that into how are we going to get on this season? And then we can look at it at the end of the season and see just how, <laughs> and, and we appreciate it's a wild stab in the dark for you as just, well. Just how wrong I was. I, I'm going to say, yes, they will win. I'm going to say 1-0 or 2-1. You say I've been going for a 4-0. I'm wildly optimistic this season for no good reason. Did you see Bristol's pre-season match at the weekend? Lost 5-0, didn't we? Lost 5-0 to Crystal Palace and uh, Lee Johnson's absolutely lashing into his place for their bad attitude. But could that then be the kick up the backside they need? You, you, again, it's pre-season. I hate drawing conclusions from and The result didn't make me think too much, but then him saying that too many players would just had the, the wrong individual attitude and that was why that made me think, yeah, they all hate you, Lee. <laughs> they've, uh, they've caught up with your lies about broken noses and such. You won't know this, but he claimed uh, Berardi broke his player's nose when he got sent off. And then, yeah, I think two days later he was in it. So what's the the update on, uh, was it Taylor's nose? He's like, oh yeah, it's not broken. It never was. It's absolutely fine. So he's like, he's a liar. Bear that in mind. <laughs> at the press conference, that every word that comes out of his mouth will just be- uh, A falsehood. A falsehood. Yeah. And yeah, I, and yeah, so it just made me think that his players have probably cottoned onto that now as well. And they're, they're, they're fed up with, uh, with listening to him. But it always helps to suspect a, an unhappy camp. And what do you think then? Do you think it's a season where Leeds can improve on last year? Do you think the championship's weaker, I guess, first of all? Uh, I don't know that it's weaker. It's interesting that very few people have spent a lot of money. I was looking just, just before at what teams have spent up till now. I think financial fair play is just looming like a massive dark shadow over everyone and dictating their, their spending. But the lack of spending doesn't mean it'll be weaker or less competitive. Because uh, it's really across the board that you know nobody's really splashed out massively. Yeah. I, as for a prediction for where Leeds will finish and things like that, uh, I don't know. Honestly, I I don't know. But I'd be surprised if they weren't in the top four at the very least. I think top two. I think top this year. What about you, Michael? <laughs> for now, I'm going to say playoffs again. But it could be changed by signing a centre back. It's the centenary. We've got to. Oh, just just write to the league and tell them. And it's worth because this is uh, Square Ball's 30th anniversary as well as being the centenary year. Our first season, promotion from Division 2. 10th anniversary, we qualified for the Champions League. And then the 20th, we got promoted from League 1 to Championship. So that's an omen. We could force goals out of Bamford unless he turns out to be the in bed and we sell him in January. But we can make it happen ourselves. That's how the universe tends to work around Leeds United, isn't it? Well, that's what you've always, you can rationalise everything at Leeds United all you want, but then you've got to multiply everything by a factor of Leeds and see what that adds or subtracts from the final results. And uh, and that's, it is unfair asking for a prediction now because asking anybody, because we've not seen, we're in the same situation we were before playing Stoke last year. Nobody's seen our first 11. They've not seen each other in a match. They've been on different sides of the world. The only, that game exists at the moment inside Bielsa's head, much as... We were seeing Idiguchi at, at centre half in Geisley last preseason, and the only the plan against Stoke didn't nobody saw it until Bielsa named exactly the same team plus Barry Douglas that had finished the, the season before, but they were eleven completely different people, 
And so the kickoff against Bristol, that's the moment when, when, so yeah, the first minute of, of the Bristol match, ask me to predict what's going to happen and I'll have a better idea. I'll know it then. Well, that's where my confidence comes from because I didn't expect anything against Stoke last year and walked into Ellen Road and went, oh my God, we're brilliant. And, <laughs> and we were brilliant for most of last season. And yeah. I expect us to be brilliant for most of this season, hopefully 46 games. I've not lost the feeling from the first half against Stoke when I was sitting next to a journalist from Mexico who was actually from Bury. But he's, <laughs> he's, their Mex- he's ESPN's Mexican correspondent come over. And about five minutes before half time, I was getting up on my phone to find the highlights of the game against Norwich, um, Heckingbottom, when we, we basically gave them Wes Houlihan's testimonial. And I was showing him the second goal. Go, These are the same players. Because I, I had to show somebody and that was what everything was going through my mind. It's like three months have gone and everything had just changed just from this, this factor. And it's the war. Um, he lost it last season, which was the war between what Bielsa has in his mind and what Leeds United has in its either the gypsy curse or whatever else it is that happened to us in the, the Derby playoff match and against Wigan. But he's got another year now to kind of have another crack at that and see if he can it's not just, it's always not just Leeds being the rest of the championship. It's Leeds being Leeds is necessary. And fortunately, Bielsa's on our side. Maybe if it should be considered that if he can take the team that finished mid table and do that with them, why can he not improve last season's team? Well, he can. And I think we should be starting in the Premier League. <laughs> I think we should just forget about the fact we didn't get promoted because this team will probably be, would be good enough to beat the bottom half of the Premier League teams. So I think we should maybe just take our points total if they want to average it out um, out of uh, the lower number of games. And then just at the end of next season, uh, just put our finishing position in the Premier League. We'll probably be, you know, 10th or something. <laughs> so absolutely fine. We could qualify for Europe. If Sean Harvey's in charge, anything could happen. You never know, dear. Graham, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. We really, really appreciate you um, giving up your time. No problem. And good luck with the new gig. I think you may need uh, a bit of uh, support along the way. Yeah, and some Kevlar as well, if anyone... Uh, has a supplier. And if you'd like to get behind us and get loads more Leeds United content, there's a number of ways you can do it. You can read TSB, digital or paper subscription for this season on sale on the website. And if you want to listen to more of us, then subscribe to our podcast, The Extra Ball. All of that is at thesquareball.net. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you soon. The Square Ball Podcast. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.